All right, here we go, and welcome to this week's episode of the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Johnson. My co-host is Dan Peisner. Hey, Dan. Hey there, Andy. Dan, looks like you're in a hotel room. Yes, yes. Uh, the weather today is <clears throat> beige walls with a chance of hotel art behind me. <laughs> Very good. So um, out in the field, working at client location, and uh, Dan, appreciate you uh, taking some time to, to do our weekly podcast. Actually, the content of today's podcast is inspired by your uh, engagement that you're involved in right now, <clears throat> this client project. You, you've seen a situation where they have some potential exposure on an acquisition that they made. Uh, how many years ago was this acquisition? Oh, it's, uh, I don't remember exactly how many, but it, it was uh, several years ago. So now it's just coming to uh, rear its ugly head, and uh, so you're going to have to deal with that. But that uh, inspired what we thought would be good to share today, because I think that many e-com businesses have an exit strategy. What they're hoping for is to build their business, scale it, and, uh, and then they're thinking, uh, understandably, that then we can... Uh, sell it and do some other things, right? It's all about <clears throat> making things so anybody can do them, getting yourself out of the business and then selling it for fun and profit. So the, the topic of our podcast today is about how to protect yourself if you're the acquiring company uh, from picking up potential problems like Dan's client is, is seeing right now. And then also the converse of it is if you are a company that wants to sell yourself, how do you set yourself up correctly uh, when you know that you're acquiring company, what they're going to be looking at, how do you make sure you're protected against these problems where they come back and, and hit you with some potential exposure that you weren't expecting? So Dan, I've got a few slides I wanna share. Well, let me bring those up for those of us, for those of you in our Facebook Live audience, and you can see these, or if you're watching this on a uh, after the fact, or just listening and you want to see these slides, then uh, you can see them over uh, on the uh, on the video that Ryan will share in the in the show notes. So, <clears throat> try to think of what are the three most important areas. For due diligence and a lot of times you hear this term cast about a lot like it's some defined thing but due diligence is, is just um, the idea that if you're going to be acquiring something you know if you're going to buy a house you're going to get it inspected and make sure there's no problems with the foundation or you also have someone look into the title and make sure the title is clear so you're performing due diligence all the time and and it's sort of already known if you're buying a house exactly what things you should be looking into. And banks and uh, lending companies have already kind of figured all that out. But if you're acquiring a company, then uh, there's not necessarily a, a comprehensive checklist that applies to all situations. But these are the, what we have seen in our own experience, what, we would say are the three most important areas that if you're acquiring a company and like I say, if you're also selling a company, 
these are the three most important things that you need to look into for sales tax purposes anyway, if you're acquiring a company. And so I'd like to start off with just a real quick example of how this was brought home to me forcefully a few years ago uh, with this sale of a, of a manufacturing business. And uh, it was a, a very profitable business. It was a fairly small operation in terms of employees, in terms of overall physical footprint, just a plant in one state, uh, but still had built it into quite a business operated, uh, founded by uh, a father and then uh, run by the son eventually and had been a long-term client of a CPA firm that we work with. And like I say, they're a manufacturer. And, and they really had, from a sales tax nexus standpoint, uh, they didn't have property or employees in other states. They sold the vows to the federal government and it came time to, to sell it. And they were excited about this because they really built a wonderful company and, and they had some big visions of what they wanted to do in the future. So they did it. Luckily, they found a buyer in relative short order, and the buyer came in <clears throat> and did their due diligence. And due diligence in a situation like this covers lots of areas, but I just want to focus on the sales, sales tax part, really state tax part, uh, because that was one of the biggest problems they ran into in the course of all their due diligence was that the buyer said, wait a minute. Uh, when, we, when we looked at your Nexus footprint, uh, we realized that you have not been collecting sales tax anywhere. And if we were to purchase you, uh, we would be saddled with potentially $10 million or more in exposure. So we're going to have to reduce the price. Uh, you're going to have to put this $10 million in escrow <clears throat> or just drop the price by $10 million. Well, that's a disaster because... <clears throat> that's pretty much the profit that they hope to make above and beyond paying off the debts. And so it basically uh, threatened to kill the whole transaction. So in that uh, one example really are the three gotchas uh, when it comes to acquiring a company. And I noticed there's four here because we have a bonus one that we're going to talk about. Uh, but the three gotchas are uh, review the nexus footprint of your target company and be aware of your own nexus if you're the seller make sure that you that they have the right certificates in place or else you're setting yourself up for potential exposure make sure the returns that they're filing are either you know I'll talk more about that but they're in good shape and then as a bonus we'll talk about it at the end uh, make sure they're not under audit already so Dan um, if you're the acquiring company, why do we care so much about the prior company's sales tax history, their nexus, all these? Why does it matter to the acquiring company? Well, Andy, uh, over the years, the states have all developed a, a theory, and this is a theory that they've codified into law, called successor liability. And what it means is that when you're you're dealing with with state taxes, that uh, in the event that uh, that a business is sold, that the the state, uh, unless you undergo certain procedures, uh, can hold the in most cases they'll hold the buyer and seller jointly and and severally liable for that until the the debt is satisfied, 
and they, they will typically do that up to uh, the purchase price paid by the buyer. Right, so what if then, can you get around it if you structure the transaction as purely an asset acquisition? Generally, no. Uh, the, the short answer on that is the states thought of that one a long time ago, and they've written their laws in such that uh, if you to uh, that if you sell all or substantially all of the assets of a business, then that then that will count and successor liability will attach. That's a, a very state-specific issue, so it may not apply to all of the states, but generally speaking, the, the laws are structured to cover that. Right. So if you acquire the stock, it's it seems more logical that you would require also all of their liabilities. And even if you contracted with the with the target company, that might satisfy um, legally with between entities, right? But it doesn't necessarily uh, you can't contract away your responsibility to the state. As far as just acquiring assets, the state's typical approach there is to say, all right, but if you're acquiring assets, then uh, our statute's going to say something like, then you have to uh, set aside enough money out of the purchase price of those assets. I'm talking about the acquisition company to account for any potential sales tax per, uh, use tax that you, that should have been paid on those assets. So that's, that's generally how they do it. So uh, speaking of the three gotchas, uh, the number one was just review their Nexus footprint. And, um, you know, we could go on a lot about what Nexus is, but it's basically if you have enough presence in another state, if your target company has enough presence in another state, that that state could require them to register, collect, and remit sales tax, that's what Nexus is. It's been the subject of many court battles over the years. Uh, Quill is one of the most famous cases. Really, if you wanted to, to learn all about the history, evolution, the very exciting story of Nexus, then you should read my book called Start With Nexus, and you can learn all about it. But the executive summary is that uh, Nexus now is defined by this 2018 Supreme Court case called Wayfair. And Wayfair is, uh, stands for the proposition, Wayfair overturned Quill, overturned the physical presence requirements in Quill, um, so, such that um, physical presence is not the required test anymore. Uh, physical presence still gives you nexus, but, and nexus is still the thing, but uh, you can have substantial nexus or your target company can have substantial nexus in another state simply because they have customers in another state. That's the new law. The old law that's still in effect is that all of these types of activities. So when you're reviewing a, a, a target company, you need to find out where did they have real property where did they have inventory? Uh, where did they use independent sales reps? In the case of that valve company example, that's the thing that created Nexus for them in the past is that they used independent sales reps all over the country and never realized that that created Nexus. The acquiring company was smart enough to identify that and save themselves 
potentially a big exposure. You know, it's like buying a lemon, right? I hate to refer to this valve company as a lemon, but from a sales tax perspective, they potentially were. So under Wayfair, um, you, your target company could have Nexus in many, many states. At the time that this decision came out, there were already 19 states that said, if, 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 you're, if you make 200 sales in a state in a year or over 100,000 in sales, then you have Nexus. At the time of this decision, there was already 19 states with, with those laws. Now, just six months later, it's over 30 states that have these laws in place. So when you're acquiring a company, it doesn't matter if they're an e-commerce business. That's the ones we're talking about today. But it could be any business that you're acquiring. It's where, not where do you have physical presence, but where do you have customers? Along with that, Dan, uh, as you've pointed out many times, it's, it's Nexus is one thing, and that's probably the most important. That's where you should start. But you also have to look at what, whether what they sell is taxable. Now, <clears throat> in our world of e-commerce, selling mostly um, tangible property, then by definition, most of what e-commerce businesses sell are, uh, would be taxable goods. Unless you're providing some sort of a digital good, then that changes the, the calculation some. Or food products, uh, there could be more exemptions there, so it might not be as bad as you think. Um, dietary supplements. Any comments you want to make about that? Uh, dietary supplements are, are a common one. Not quite a food product, but treated like some in, in some right. states. Right. You might, you know, in, when you're doing your due diligence, you, you might say, well, you got Nexus everywhere. You're selling through Amazon. You have inventory everywhere. You weren't collecting tax. Uh, but if they're selling dietary supplements, then they may not have to have collected tax everywhere. And really in, a, in an acquisition mode, you're, it's not an adversarial thing. You're both looking for, uh, to, to consummate this deal. And so you're looking for uh, a possible compromise, right? You're not looking to gotcha, but you're also trying to protect yourself against acquiring this lemon, this, uh, you know, this house that has a nonstop problems that you're going to have to sink a lot of money into. The, the next area after uh, nexus slash taxability that you really have to pay attention to when you're performing your due diligence has to do with exemption certificates and just making sure you have the right that your target company has the right certificates on, on file. Dan, why is, why is exempt certificates a review of those such an important thing as an acquiring company? Well, Andy, uh, exemption certificates, uh, as, as we said before, can be, they're an easy low hanging fruit for auditors. And, uh, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I know that, I know that this company's exempt. They're, they're a big, you know, they're a big wholesaler. Or they, they're a huge company. They buy from, they buy this stuff from everybody. Why would the state not think they're exempt? But what, what virtually every state's law will say is that if you do not collect a certificate for that transaction, that you have to collect the tax, whether you're selling to the end, the end consumer, uh, or to Wayfair themselves. Uh, you, you've got to get that certificate to show that 
in order to excuse you from having to, to collect the tax on that transaction. Yeah. And a common thing is for people to ignore that. And I totally understand that. But as you, as the acquiring company, just cannot afford to, to do that. In the case of this valve company, um, what the manufacturer wanted to say is, yeah, but we, we sell all of our product to contractors who then turn around and install this product in prisons and in uh, military bases, all federal government installations. And so isn't all of that exempt anyway? Why do we even have to worry about this? And so the acquiring company uh, said, well, yes, but in most cases, uh, you have to get the, uh, a certificate, an exempt certificate from your contractor, and you don't have any of them. And in some states, uh, states don't allow those certificates to be issued to a contractor from the federal government. So if you don't have the certificate, then it's an exposure item. And that's exactly how an auditor would look at it. In the e-commerce world, uh, this comes up all the time. If you're, if you're in a drop shipping model, let's say you, you are the uh, supplier to drop ship retailers, then you potentially have nexus in many, many places because of Wayfair because your, your sales are made to your drop shipper customer. However, the destination of those shipments is all across the U.S., so in every state that has a Wayfair type statute, then you have um, potentially have nexus in all these different states that you hadn't thought of before. And so now instead of just having a certificate responsibility in one or two states, wherever you had physical presence, now you have to make sure you have all the certificates in all these different states to, um, if, if you're thinking about acquiring other dropship um, manufacturers, for example. Dan, any other examples that, that come to mind for you in this exemption certificate world? Oh, I think that pretty well covered it for those. Yeah. So that's how e-commerce businesses have to really pay attention if you're acquiring another e-commerce business. The third area that probably is the most obvious, but I have a few comments about uh, you, you definitely want to look at their tax returns. So you're going to look at the federal tax returns, state income tax return, but make sure that you look at the sales tax returns. This is where your potential big exposure. And obviously if they haven't been filing in any place, there's not much to look at, but assuming they've been filing, make sure that they've been filed on time and accurately because uh, the state will catch that eventually and assess penalty and interest. So just make sure there's a reserve for that. Follow the payments all the way through uh, that are indicated on the return. Follow them and make sure that they're remitted, right? They're actually made. And to do that, you've probably got to review in detail the tax payable account and, and review their reconciliation of it. So have your target company prepare a reconciliation and review it carefully. This is exactly what a sales tax auditor will do. And it will show areas where, okay, there's been tax credited to tax payable, and that can happen because you collected tax uh, on a sale or you accrued use tax. But there needs to be debits in there that follow, that flow through the actual tax returns. 
sometimes there's debits to that account that rep that represent transfers to another account and potentially to a revenue account. And so that would be a potential problem. Sometimes they don't reconcile their sales tax payable account at all. And that in and of itself is a potential big problem. Uh, Dan, uh, this last one, tell us uh, why would we put in there and make sure they're filing under the proper entity? This is a project that you worked on. Well, uh, this one comes up uh, in, the, in the case of, uh, you've got a lot of companies with periodically restructure things, uh, try to uh, different business models, a lot of times try to uh, cleave off their liability into separate entities. And uh, what we found is a lot of times they don't get the sales tax permits updated. They don't, the, uh, the entity that's recording the revenue and is actually making the sales may not be permitted in every state. And it may be the parent company that is. And while the sales tax may have all been collected and remitted, it's not shown up under the proper entity. That's a, in, in theory, or it, in theory, it need, it all needs to be moved to the, to the appropriate entity. In practice, a lot of times, if you can show a sales tax auditor that it's the, uh, that it's the, not all the money was given to the state, it's just under the wrong entity, they can do the adjustments. However, if you're the purchasing entity, don't always want to wait. You don't want to place all your chips on that in practice. You you want to be sure. You want to be as conservative as possible. Yep, that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. Just thinking about that project that we worked on together. So a company uh, wanted to sell off one of its divisions. They found the buyer. Buyer is willing, and the buyer did their due diligence and realized everything's in order. You're you're. You're filing where you have nexus, the returns are being filed, but they noticed that the entity named on the returns was not the entity that they were purchasing. And so what they were worried about from before they sold, before the company division was sold, it was not a big concern, like Dan said, because you, you can get the auditor to just see that the money's being remitted it's being maybe being remitted by a separate entity, but it's all part of the corporate group. So technically speaking, yeah, we should have done it under the other one, but the purchaser did not, when they get audited, they, they, they want to make sure they can prove to the auditor that tax has been remitted and they have no proof of it because they have this entity now that has no filing history. Right. And so they, they made a legitimate point that, uh, that made our client, go back and uh, negotiate with the states, which was quite a process, months and months of work, you wouldn't think, but getting states to move that credit, that those documents basically that say, yes, this entity has a filing history was a huge effort. And it was a lot of work to get it done and very expensive process, but the sale was big enough to make it go. But that's just another thing to think about to protect yourself as the acquiring company, make sure they're actually remitting the tax under the proper entity so that you yourself have protection going forward. The last thing that I want to bring up the, the, the bonus risk is what inspired this content in the first place. Uh, Dan, you're, you're helping out. You're working with a company today and come to find out that uh, in the acquisition process, they were told by the target company 
I guess they asked the question, do you have any outstanding sales tax audits? And the target company said no. And then come to find out now years later uh, that they did. So Dan, give us a little more details on that uh, situation and what you found. How, how, how can we help the company, the client, if at all? Well, uh, this one's a little, was a little unique uh, for various reasons, but uh, what we found is that the, when the, that once a, a bill is, uh, once a, a bill is issued, that the, the states typically have a period of, uh, a state has a period of time to try to collect on that bill. And when you're dealing with, uh, anytime you're dealing with successor liability, that a, a state has a certain, uh, they have a period of time uh, after the, the close of the sale to, find a successor in liability and assess any uh, and try to uh, bill them for any tax penalty and interest that may be applicable. Uh, and, in, and in some cases, the successor has virtually no standing to try to challenge that, which is, is the really scary thing. You may be hit with a liability you don't even know about, and you may not, by law, may not have uh, any legal standing to try to, to really challenge it. The, the state can go after the buyer or the seller. Uh, they've uh, just because the the seller sold the business doesn't always let them off the hook, but they they can go after either party to satisfy that liability. Uh, typically, the the buyer's protected up to the the purchase. They, it, the liability can't exceed the the purchase price or or the fair market value of the business, but uh, that that can still uh, I mean that can be a huge hit for any business to take off. And um, depending upon the, the state, your, your options to fight it may not be all that great, especially if you've got uh, bad records, if, if a lot of the documents didn't make it over, if the buyer's record keeping, the seller's, sorry, record keeping was shoddy, or if the, the person that you were trying to, to deal with has now disappeared if, into the four winds and can't be found to tell you anything about what happened during the period. Right. I, I thought that the kind of the very um, interesting, scary aspects of this is your client was just presented this bill out of nowhere and you, you really have no standing you found. Uh, this was, what state were you looking at, Texas? Yeah, this, is a, this one, specific, that's a specific to Texas issue. So this was a, the, an issue in uh, the, the acquiring company had an outstanding audit had an audit ongoing at the time of the acquisition from the state of Texas. And uh, our client did not know about this, whether they asked about it or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, they, they didn't know about it. And now several years later, they're just presented with a bill. And so you might think, well, let me look into this audit and see if we can reduce this amount because this is ridiculous. Uh, and, and what you found out is in Texas, you don't have any standing to go back into the merits of that audit and try to argue it. You just have to pay the bill, try to try to negotiate some, some settlement, which is kind of disturbing. Um, so that's just a gotcha. Now, Dan, I, uh, what do you know about some of the other bigger states? Do they have a similar provision? If they purchase, if you were to purchase a, a company with an outstanding audit in California, say, or some of these other big states, 
is it a similar situation that you really have no ability to even dig into that prior audit and try to argue that it was invalid? Well, you've got a, a number of uh, California uh, and really most states have some kind of a provision where what they what they want you to do is they want you to notify when you're when you're going to sell when you're selling a company they want you to notify the state that it's going to happen and then the, the state will have a certain period of time to come in and first off they're going to let you know if if there are any outstanding bills already on the books they're going to let you know and they're going to issue the bill uh, to and um, and uh, they will either the seller will pay it off or they will require the buyer to withhold enough money to satisfy tax penalty and interest on that assessment. Uh, California says that uh, specifically you've got to request a tax clearance certificate from the, the time that the that the uh, uh, before the sale closes and the state has about 60 days after the, the time that the certificates issued and the books are made available to them to either do their own audit, issue any deficiencies, uh, or to give you a, a clean tax certificate. And in the event that you do not, uh, if, if they fail to, to do anything within that period, then you have no lesser liability considered uh, to, get, to get out clean. Uh, Florida has something, Florida also attaches uh, successor liability. Uh, they, in the event that you're selling, you can actually have the state come out and do an audit, and they've got, but they'll have under this law, they have 60 days to finish. Uh, however, Florida's got a unique little twist in that they can they can bill you for the price of doing that audit. Uh, Florida also has a twist in that it it appears that a any the successor does have standing to challenge any deficiencies that that come up in an audit. Uh, lack of doing lack of of doing this uh, will open you up to full successor liability. Uh, New York has a similar provision. You have to notify the state ten days before the purchase. The purchaser has the the right to appeal any tax owed by the seller. Um, you have to file within ninety days of notification of seller liability. New York actually even goes so far as to say that uh, even even if the tax the determination is final if you're just now notifying the successor that they still have the right to go back and open it up. So that's kind of a, a little twist from Texas where you have no right of liability to challenge a liability. Uh, Ohio uh, says that it, the, is not as, as detailed. They, uh, they just say that the purchaser has to withhold sufficient tax to pay any liability due uh, unless a certificate is received from the department. So they too have a, a process to to go in and and uh, request a, uh, a tax clearance certificate or to give the, the department a chance to do an audit. Uh, failure to do so, of course, results in successor liability. And uh, finally, the Illinois, the parties have to actually have to file a notice of sale with the department no later than 10 days after the sale is closed, or the, the successor is liable for any known known taxes. Uh, the buyer, the seller can uh, request the the DOR do an audit to determine any taxes, and that has to be filed up to 10 days before the sale closes. They don't respond within a certain time frame. Again, no successor liability. So there's a a little bit of a a theme with you can see with these states in that they're you what they want you to do is to to come to them, 
they they'll immediately send you any bills that are are known. So if there's missing tax returns, uh, late fees, uh, then then that'll immediately come to light. And then some of the states may decide that they they want to do an audit for safe measure to determine if there's any unknown tax liabilities. And they'll typically require uh, the they'll they'll want the buyer either the seller will will cut a check to satisfy it, or they want the buyer to withhold an escrow uh, out any from there any enough money to cover the any tax penalty and interest that they find, uh, and so that that so that the essentially the state's going to get their money one way or the other. Yeah, <clears throat> the government always gets gets theirs right, almost always. So I, I guess my takeaway from all of that and talking about the those big states right there is, if you're acquiring a company uh, of any magnitude whatsoever, you, know, you really have to do your due diligence in, in lots of different areas. And I guess our expertise obviously is in sales tax, so this is what we're talking about. But you can see, and I've seen it so many times, both representing the buyers and the sellers, uh, just exposures in these three or four different areas is what, what you really need to look at. It just highlights to me that um, in, in any acquisition of any magnitude, you really need professionals, just like if you're buying a house, you need an appraiser, you need an inspector, you need title uh, uh, inspection, all these types of things. You need the professionals to help you with that. So Dan, thank you so much. I know you got to get back to the uh, client and back to work. But thanks for sharing your time with us. And uh, that concludes this episode of the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast. We'll see you next week.